Welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Steve. I'm Sarah. And I'm Erica. So friends, we are in the midst of a series called Christianity 202. This is a continuation of a series that we did a while back called Christianity 101, where we took a look at those things in our faith as Christians, that those foundation blocks, uh, like who is God, who is Jesus, what is this thing called a Bible? Those were things that we addressed in Christianity 101. But now we are going a little bit deeper into some topics here on Christianity 202 and talking about how do we interpret and read the Bible? What is the mission of the church? Why do we do good deeds? So, Erica, where are we going to today? So today is kind of, in some ways, I think a a jump off that good deeds episode that we recently did, um, because we're talking about free will. Versus what it's often called in the church predestination or the the idea that God has predestined everything, including who may or may not make it into heaven someday. And um, it, those are two strong pooling points in the church. There's been lots of argument over the years about which one is correct, which one is wrong, or is there a way for both of them to be correct um, because of scripture and church history? Because there are places in scripture where it clearly says predestined. And what do we do with that as for myself as an Arminian, a Wesleyan um, who believes very much in free will. So we're going to kind of try to unpack this and see um, where there may be some dragons and where we can try to maybe even agree to disagree in some points. I, I appreciate you starting this conversation by naming that the Bible I th- I think it's fair to say the Bible points in multiple directions at the same time here. And mm-hmm. that it's worth remembering the Bible is not written as a single author systematic theology, but different authors with different circumstances are going to emphasize different things. So you'll get places where a St. Paul in his letters will use words like God foreordained and predestined and chose and elected, you know, whether it's uh, events in his life or circumstances or uh, those to be saved or elect or chosen for salvation. Um, And then there are other places that really clearly emphasize human agency. Um, And then there are also some places that kind of do both at the same time. And we're kind of left going, well, I would really like to know how that works. You know, I I think often about the story in the end of uh, the book of Genesis, uh, when um, Joseph, who had been sold into slavery by his brothers and is clearly faulted for like, they did this rotten thing to him. You know, they they sold him into slavery and told dad that he'd been killed by animals. And uh, Mm -hmm. however, he rises to prominence in Egypt and saves the family. And when he finally reveals himself to his brothers, says, you meant it for evil, but God intended it for good. And you're left with like, well, so clearly there's human agency and there's God's agency. And somehow both are there at the same time. But how do you deal with all that? Um, That the, the, the Bible doesn't in some ways doesn't pick a side or gives us ammunition if you want to think it in those terms for arguing in both directions about human freedom or divine sovereignty and i okay i'm going to pause this for a second because i think that we're having two different conversations at the same time okay um there is the question of are we predestined 
for salvation mm-hmm. or is mm-hmm. that human is that god's will or human will as to whether or not we are or are not saved as in like what happens to us after we die but then there's also the question of just in general does god preordain or predestined us for either good things or bad things that happen in our lives because i feel like that story with joseph is often a good place to point to sometime god does like there are major things that happen in our lives that God intends to happen for either good things or bad things or whatever that might not have anything to do with our salvation. Sure. Mm -hmm. Sure. And so like, and I think that they are two very related conversations, but they might be different conversations of both what happens to us after we die with, are we like, are we saved or not? And who decides whether or not we are, and does God allow or do things in our lives that are are either good or bad that because God is intending for something to happen in our lives? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There are some traditions, uh, like we're going to probably spend some time in this episode talking about the Reformed tradition and Calvinism, that wants to take a strong position on both of those. Like to say, not only does God pick and choose who is saved in the end and they will lean hard if if they're being consistent on who's damned to hell but also all the way down to everything that happens in history is all to some degree divinely ordained and also they want to have their cake and eat it too that you are also responsible for your actions um but um then there are other traditions that are okay with sort of splitting the difference and can lean more toward yep salvation is something that god is the author of but day-to-day actions you know did i make the red light or did i not make the red light or you know what breakfast cereal did i choose that god doesn't preordain and that's there's freedom there and then there are other traditions that again would see themselves as more consistent or like it's freedom everywhere whether you go to heaven whether you have breakfast or no no breakfast whether you make the red light or not God's not behind any of that, uh, that it's all, it's all up to you or at least to human causes and non-divine causes or something like that. Is it helpful for us maybe to set up some guardrails on any, on, on maybe sides of the spectrum here or, or ends of that? Like, are there, are there places where we think broadly Christianity can say, okay, here there be dragons or here's a place where we don't leap off the cliff and we sort of try and find place to live in the middle of the spectrum or are there are there no guardrails at all? I don't know, because like there are certainly places in the discussion of God allows or does or does things bad things in your life in order to teach you a lesson. Like um, like for example, of like oh, God allowed you or gave you cancer so that you would learn patience or compassion or whatever. I think here be dragons. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I don't think I have the authority to speak for all of Christianity on that. Right. Like, I think that that is a pretty legitimate thing that people can believe because it's in the Bible. Yeah. And so I think it's really dangerous because I don't think that God gives us really hard things to deal with in our lives just to teach us a lesson Mm -hmm. like and i think that that like god becomes really quickly a bad bad person not Mm -hmm. not a bad person but like the bad guy in our story of Mm -hmm. our lives Mm -hmm. and i don't think that that's god's role yeah but again it's it's one of those things that like i'm really uncomfortable with it but like that's the whole book of job sure. <laughs> so i don't yeah. think 
that I can just straight out say that, hey, all Christians everywhere, I don't think you should believe this because clearly there is biblical basis for it. I just think it's really, I think here be dragons. Okay. Okay. So maybe there's a place to say that like speculation on what God sent for what reason can really, we can really get ourselves in difficult circumstances real fast. Mm -hmm. And that while we can say, yes, there are biblical stories where the narrator says God sent this thing, you know, so Miriam is picking on Moses because he married um, a, a woman of African origin with darker skin and he's, and she's making fun of him and God strikes her with leprosy to make her skin real pale, sort of as a, okay, if you're going to be so all about white skin, I'll, I'll give real pale skin to you now. And like the text is not afraid to say that happened. And that was God teaching Miriam a lesson. Mm-hmm. Um right. And yet there's other times where people will come say to Jesus, hey, why is this man born blind? Who sinned? Who's who's getting punished for this? And Jesus' answer is sort of, a, that's not how it works. Uh, this is not about someone being punished for sin. This is not, don't look for God in the ascending of punishment, but God will be revealed in the healing in this moment, which is kind of a clever end around and avoids the question of why did the bad thing happen? Yeah. And especially when we attach to that a person's lack of faith. Mm-hmm is right. why this is happening to them. Right, right, right. Like that's, mo- that's I think, for me, the more dangerous part of that. Because like you said, Sarah, there are biblical times, you both have mentioned some, where God clearly sends disease, heartache, whatever, upon a person. And we know it's from God. Um, but when we start saying, well, this has happened, you have cancer because you lack faith, or somebody died because they lack faith. That Wow, that's yeah. like... I have been on the, I've been on the other side of that conversation. Mm -hmm. I've had people tell me that uh, about relatives and yeah, that, no, that's a hard no for me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I know I've definitely been in conversations with parishioners where it wasn't them who I was talking to who had the cancer, but a relative of theirs, like Mm -hmm. their spouse had cancer. And then they said, this was to teach me X, Y, and Z. And and I was just a little bit like, oh, no, you think God is making or letting this person suffer to Mm -hmm. teach you a lesson? Like, yeah. well, I I think we need to just be very careful. And and yet there's a piece of me that feels like with just a, a little bit of a tweak, there's a way of seeing hardship as opportunities to learn. And I'm I can be like, yeah, that's so like when something terrible happens, whether it's me or somebody else. I feel like it's it's an appropriate and maybe even faithful thing to say, okay, in this circumstance, not what is what lesson is God teaching me, but like how can this be a place where I live out of my faith or how can I use this moment? How what what can mm-hmm. I learn from this moment or how can I grow in this situation? Um and that places me I mean it, that that places the agency back on what am I going to do with my free will to decide to use, how am I going to use this moment or how am I going to respond? Um, and that's different than God must, God must have made this thing happen to do, to teach me something mm-hmm. that kind of, kind of has like a, the, the, uh, self-centered, like I'm the center of the story when maybe God's got like 6 billion other people to worry about rather than just teaching me a lesson through my or somebody else's suffering. Um, so I guess I feel like that's a help. That is a helpful way of naming. There's, there's at least one guardrail or, or dragon, that even if there's biblical warrant for saying, 
in such and such a story, the biblical narrator is comfortable saying God was behind this or God is behind that. That doesn't mean we we get permission to then identify in somebody else's life. Ah, God must be teaching you a lesson or God is rewarding you for your righteousness. And that's why you got the tax refund or that's why you got the. I mean, like, and again, Mm -hmm. it's so easy to go that direction. Um, But to me, that feels like maybe there's guardrails there at least. On, on the flip side, um, I guess a, a, another place for a, a, a guardrail I would toss out, and I'm not exactly sure where to, where to set this guardrail, how far off the road, but I think classically Christianity has at least separated itself from the old model. I think we talked about this maybe under Christianity 101 is deism, which is sort of a, a movement uh, that was popular 17th, 18th century that sort of imagined, yep, there's a God. But this God uh, basically wound the universe up like a Mm -hmm. cosmic clock and just sort of lets it go and pretty much doesn't is hands off pretty much since creation and isn't bothered with humanity, doesn't have compassion for humanity, just sort of like lets it all go. Um, And while that is certainly a way to have a theism to me, like Christianity has classically said, no, whatever we mean about God, God is invested and cares about the story of the universe and humanity as well and is involved somehow in, in, in humanity's existence and life, suffering with us and guiding or directing or something like that, but not completely like an absentee landlord or something like that. Does that seem like a fair guardrail to put up? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, because we, we have biblical evidence of God responding to the prayers of his people and acting accordingly, you know, with Moses and Abraham, you know, begging God for, for mercy and, and relief and, and not, and not just doing what God has promised to do by destroying this town yeah. or this group of people. Um, both of those men ask God, okay, can you? You know, I'm thinking of Abraham with Sodom and Gomorrah. If there's 50 people, right. if there's 40 people, if there's 30 people that are righteous, will you save this town? You know, if God didn't care, sure. <clears throat> then Abraham's prayers and conversation, well, Abraham wouldn't be having a conversation with God yeah. in the first place. getting answers the way he did you can think similarly of uh, the whole end of the jonah story you know we're talking about god changed god's mind after the people so and to be to be honest folks who are really hard in the the camp of calvinism really really struggle with those passages like that Mm -hmm. and have to say things like well this is figurative language god doesn't really change god's mind or god already knew what god was going to do but it's like when a parent you know like plays a game with a kid and like already knows what they're going to do and sort of has to walk the kid so like there are there are answers that are out there for how uh a, a, a theological position that's strong on god's sovereignty can deal with that but it does feel like you have to do more mental gymnastics mm-hmm. to deal with passages like that whereas on the flip side those who are more more strongly in favor of human free will everywhere get uncomfortable with you know um god choosing abraham or god choosing the nation of israel or hardening pharaoh's heart or you know any of those other places yeah. so like it's it's not like we're there there's one of these uh, approaches that has um nothing but proof texts and nothing that's uncomfortable both 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 ends of this spectrum are going to have to wrestle with some passages it seems like we've also, our guardrails that we've put up are not just biblical, but sort of uh, pastoral care or spiritual as well. Like that notion mm-hmm. of, while, yep, the Bible does say this in this story, we're not going to take the leap of saying the bad thing that happened to you must be God sending this punishment. So that's a, like, practically, we we are not comfortable saying everything that happens, you have to read 
God, or for that matter, diabolical intent under either. Like sometimes mm. that's tempting too, that, okay, maybe God didn't send the miracle or God didn't send the, the cancer, but the bad thing that happened was Satan. Like, nope, there are some things that we don't just attribute to uh, demons or angels, but a, a world uh, a world with weather is going to have tornadoes. A world with weather is going to have thunderstorms and hurricanes and things like that. These are part of living in a physical universe. Yeah, it's uh, for me, like a, a common thing that I ask people um, is, how did you see God at work in the world this week? Mm -hmm. So, you know, obviously, I presume that God is still active in this world and working through us to do God's work in the world. Um, but also we live in a sinful world, a broken world um, that, you know, human sin and systemic sin is also active in the world. And something that I really struggle with is not having that be completely dualistic mm. in the sense that, you, you know, because we already know that God has won um, and God is going to win. And so it's not like these are two equal forces at work in the world. And, and that's maybe my own Lutheran theology of like, you know, trying not to make that be like that the, the sin is an equal, just as powerful force as God, because we already know that God has won. Yeah. I think you've raised a really important point that's not only helpful for the conversation about like day to day situations or providence, but that sort of ultimate victory and how this impinges on the question of uh salvation and the way that pr the conversation about god's will and free will imp impacts the question of who's saved and that's the position of like is is the victory of god already known or is that up and uh, up you know op an open question and it's probably fair to say there are some theologies out there i'm thinking in particular of like process theology or what's sometimes called open theology that is a lot more comfortable saying we really don't know how the story is going to end and that God is in the process of learning and growing along with uh, the rest of the universe. And that's sort of God's choice to learn and grow and be surprised by human actions along with uh, us. Um, uh, classically, Christianity has not wanted to go that far and has been more comfortable sort of where, where you landed, Sarah, about like, no, the, the victory is certain that God's victory, in fact, not only is certain, but again, Lutherans would tend to say God's already accomplished the victory that matters in the cross and resurrection of Jesus, that it's sort of working that out and the rest of the universe is still happening, but God's victory is assured and is not up for debate. Um, but I guess that's the question to ask is like, does the Christian faith, uh, do we think it's definitive to say that, yeah, Christianity has to say that God's victory is assured or is it an open question whether in the end God wins or not? What do you think? way i read revelation god wins but okay <laughs> and i guess so i guess my question is like is that something that you would say like that's a hundred percent certainty that like that's not it's that god has already won it's a done deal or is that something that like yeah well revelation says that god will win but well i guess we'll actually have to see when we get there or how, how do you how do you see that i I don't think I could serve and worship a God that would allow evil to, to defeat good. Okay. In the long run. Okay. This evil defeat good on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. Yeah, sometimes. But I, I personally could not worship and, and serve a God in which 
it's questionable in the end that God might lose. Okay. And so like th- this, this to me feels like it's along the same lines of that famous line attributed to Martin Luther King. Uh, the, the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice, right? That there's yeah. this hope that like, I'm confident it may take a while. It may be slow, but eventually mm-hmm. justice wins over injustice and good wins out over evil. Can I ask a, a question? I mean, this is an open question because uh, this, this, points out like the very reason this is a challenging topic for Christians is does 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 asserting that God wins in the end put limits on human freedom maybe <laughs> yeah I, yeah I like that <laughs> ask, ask a Lutheran they'll say maybe ask a Calvinist they say yes and it doesn't matter ask an Arminian like whoa 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 <laughs> I mean I lean towards no but I like Sarah's maybe um because it's you know, at some point Jesus is coming back, right? Like we we all agree at some point Jesus is coming back. We should have a whole episode where we talk about that, though. <laughs> Maybe next week. Let's. I like your. I like the cut of your gym. Let's do that. Um, and, and so at that at that point, then is there will there be a limit on human freedom? Maybe I you know. Um, until so that point, no. I, <laughs> I and I guess part of what I, what I mean to say is like, if 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 we mean seriously that God's victory is a certain thing, and I realize process theology, open theology is maybe not mm-hmm. willing to go there, but if if we're willing to say God's victory is is certain or even already accomplished, um, then that seems to me to say like then no matter what, even when human beings do their damnedest, and even in our, we are absolutely dead set against God and do continue to, like, at some point, God is determined that, nope, I, I, I assert that good wins out over evil, even if we keep kicking and screaming and we want evil or something like that. To me, I'm, I'm comfortable saying, yep, that puts limits on human freedom. And that means that even, even human freedom isn't the final arbiter of, how the how the story the universe's story goes um mm-hmm. and that freedom by itself um if it's not just plain arbitrariness has us has to have certain given things to it like that their freedom by itself can't be the be all end all that like um uh it, again other otherwise it really is left open i, I don't know whether good will win because maybe we'll be such stinkers we refuse to let god win i'm willing to say nope uh, human human power just is not that strong and and I think, I think for me, if I'm willing willing to say that God is the most powerful force in the in the created universe, mm-hmm. right? If God is the most powerful thing, entity, deity, whatever, if God is the most powerful, then that doesn't. Then I think that that means that my power of and sin's power isn't greater than god okay so if mm-hmm. god wishes to do whatever god wants to do then that's what's going to happen right um no matter what i do or say or now we might be headed into another place where this conversation gets really interesting in that i, I and I, I at least i'm willing to say yes god's the most powerful thing beyond the universe and that seems like that okay that sounds like reasonably solid orthodox christianity but maybe the question then becomes 
what ways is God willing to use that power and what things is God not willing to do? Because I, I guess it also seems like classically Christianity has not been willing to say God has made us all into just robots or zombies or automatons mm-hmm. who have who only obey our programming. That Even to talk about sin requires being able to say, I guess we can do what God doesn't want us to do somehow sometimes. Um, if God says don't murder and we murder, or God says love your neighbor and I don't, clearly I'm capable of violating God's will to some degree. Um, and that it's possible to say that maybe in God's character, God refuses to ultimately use coercive power or or like mind washing, you know, power or something like that. Um, and that in the so like you can make a case and be in that sort of Arminian flow of God's all powerful, but chooses not to um, wipe out our will or mm-hmm. erase our will or overrule us or something like that. Um, but again, like you're then then at some point you're left with the question, well, what what if we keep resisting? What if we keep saying no? In the end, would it does would God be willing to give up and lose and say, Oh yeah, I I I refuse to overrule them, so I guess evil gets the win? Or at some point does God say, Nope, I'm getting what I want and I and because it's best for you, so goodness wins over evil. I mean, like you said, Steve, God has unlimited power, and yet at times he chooses to not use that power. Uh huh. You know, Jesus, when he was here on earth, had unlimited power being 100% God, but didn't always use it. Um, but I, I think of the Noah story, you know, when God flooded the earth because humanity had gotten so evil. And then he puts the rainbow in the sky as a promise that he's never going to do that again. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think, I think the second coming, and again, we're, we'll talk about this in another episode, but that that's different than the flood. And like the the destruction that may happen under that is different than the flood. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I I still come back to the idea that God's not going to give up on us to the point that he'll, he'll allow evil to completely take over. Mm-hmm. My deepest hope in the world is that God will ultimately say, I know what's best for you and I'm saving you whether you want it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, I am not in charge of who is and who is not safe, which <laughs> yeah. thank God for everybody that I'm not the one in charge because yeah, right. I would have terrible judgment. Um, but that is my hope. My I think my mm-hmm. hope is that God will save everyone whether or not they want it. Um, but again, that's not up to me. This this reminds me, and I can't remember if we've talked about this before, about the difference between monkey hold Christianity and cat hold Christianity. Yes, we have. Mm-hmm. But like the 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 basic metaphor being that uh, mama monkey, when baby monkey is in in danger in the jungle or whatever like that, turns around and waits for baby monkey to climb on mama monkey's back and has to hold on. And it's basically up to baby monkey to have a tight enough grip and to realize she's offering to carry the baby away. And then if baby monkey does and t- holds on tight enough, they're, they're, the monkeys are all safe. Whereas mama cat picks up the kittens by the scruff of the neck. They're blind. They don't even see that there's danger out there. Mama cat doesn't even care that they're getting hissed and kicked and screamed and clawed at. Mama cat knows what's best. In the end, I'm going to rescue from danger. On the other side of it, you'll recognize that I saved you and rescued you, and maybe you'll thank me then. But in the meantime, 
it's there. I I can't I can't rely on you to know what's good for you. Um, and to me, those are helpful at least handles on like yeah, there th- where where you where you tend to land on that is going to help point maybe point at how you might answer these questions about human freedom, and um and divine freedom as well. And that like if if you see if you if your take on human beings is we're sensible enough to know when God offers us salvation. And God waits for us. God being, you know, uh, kind and gentlemanly or having good old fashioned manners waits for us to make the first move. Or if God's always the one asking us out onto the dance floor and taking the first step because we're like blind kittens who don't realize, then you're going to err more on the side of, you know what, if it comes to it, God's going to pick us up by the scruff of the neck and save us rather than I need to honor their freedom and let them burn. And maybe this is the monkey holding me. Um, because that's tends to be yeah. a little bit more where I land, <laughs> though I understand both and, and understand where both come from. It, Sarah, Sarah, I get where you're coming from. You hope that God saves everybody regardless if they want it or not. But then is he being a good and right God for saving folks that don't want to be saved? I would say yes. <laughs> I would say the same way that like when I talk to my kids and do things that are good for them, even when they don't realize that they're good for them, I'm willing to say, yep, in the end, I'd rather give my kids the medicine and have them not die from, you know, whatever, because I gave them the medicine, even if in the moment they don't like it. Um, and I'm willing to, and I, I realize that can be dangerous too, because that cast me as the all-knowing parent. And I, a lot of times don't know what the right thing is. <laughs> but I'm, Again, maybe that's coming from my monkey hold side of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and see, I guess my my I, I get I get your point. And and at some point, if you lean too hard on the God will make us do things even if we don't want them, that can get kind of coercive as well. Um, but I guess there's a piece of me that that is like, um, I, I I don't know that 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 um, it it comes down to rather than rather than leading us to destroy ourselves, God, God would rather save us rather than leave us to our own devices. And it, it, like, to me, it seems like that's the whole story of the Bible is at mm-hmm. every turn, we keep turning away from God and God keeps refusing to, to take our no for an answer that God keeps refusing to say, you keep wanting to destroy yourselves, but I won't let you, I won't give up on you. Um, and it's that refusal to give up, I guess, to me that, that I'm willing to land more on the side of in the end, this is it's God is determined. Uh, even if, even if it feels like we're, drug kicking and screaming sometimes um into the arms of mercy even if in the moment we were being ornery and stubborn so this is some of my own personal theology if it's completely wesleyan i don't know this is um just me but when people ask me why does why does a good god send people to hell my answer is always he doesn't we send ourselves um we we make that choice by refusing to love and accept the the gracious gift god has given us we make that choice to send ourselves but I also believe that, and and to some this will sound like universalism. I I, I don't think it is. <laughs> um, it maybe that's me just trying to justify I, it. I won't throw rocks at you if you sound <laughs> universalistic. But you know there are folks out there who never get to hear the right story about God, okay. and I, and I put yeah. that that way because sure. some people hear about God and just not in the correct way. Okay, and so. I believe when they die, God being a merciful God may, you know, may allow him into heaven. But as Sarah said earlier, I'm not God. I'm not making those decisions and I'm glad right. I'm not. Well, and, That's above and, my pay grade. And this is one of those points where like practically, if, if, 
if we lean too hard on that, that can sound like, well, we certainly shouldn't do evangelism. We shouldn't tell anybody the good news yeah. because then that gives everybody the bliss of ignorance. And then they can say, I never heard. And clearly that seems like, no, that seems like, no, we're, it seems pretty important to Jesus that we tell other people the news of God, mm-hmm. love and Jesus. And so, yeah, like to me, that feel like that's one place to put a guardrail of, okay, wh- whatever, whatever we, we believe theoretically we can't let it say hamstring the idea of sharing the good news. Somehow that's a part of Christianity is sharing the good news, but not just as heavenly fire insurance. <laughs> yeah. And that's when my, my long time struggle with the idea of predestination, you know, people were predestined to be damned to hell. Then why are you doing evangelism? <laughs> well, let, let me welcome you to the glorious world of Lutheran paradoxical <laughs> single predestination. So I, 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 I guess I will I will at least make the case for um, what is logically inconsistent, but I think is a delightful theological place to live in tension. Um, Luther, Amen. at his most severe moments, what's that? Amen. <laughs> As Luther, the elder Lutheran, you're, you're all are always paradox. living in tension. <laughs> yeah, 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 and th- no nowhere more so than this, I think, because like Luther, in in some of his writings, in fact, some of the writings he liked the best, comes down sounding very, very strongly. God reserves the right to choose whom God chooses um, and almost comes down sounding real Calvinistic in his writing The Bondage of the Will and sort of basically says, you can't trust human free will because we always screw it up. Our wills are broken by sin and I can't choose the good on my own. If you ask me cookie or carrot, I'm always going to pick the cookie because I'm screwed up that way. Um, Mm -hmm. And that on a spiritual level, human beings are so bent by sin we keep choosing rottenness and stinkiness and self-centeredness rather than love of God or neighbor time and time again. Sometimes we get it right, but you can't trust us on it. Um, and Luther will end up saying the, the Lutheran position ends up being something like, if, if you are saved in the end, that's entirely God's grace. You don't get to say that you were smart enough to take the deal. God even gives us the faith to be able to believe. And at the same time, to be crude about if you're damned it's your own damn fault that like it's our rejection of god that we are punished for in the end if you're if you're out um but that it's entirely god's grace if you're in um and that leaves to me the beauty of that is that leaves the wiggle room of where sarah landed of like could god reserve the right to say everybody's in in the end god could we don't get Mm -hmm. to say for sure that god's god has to and i think that's that's maybe another important thing that sometimes sloppy what i would call sloppy universalism says god has to let everybody in or it's not fair and i think no that sort of like assumes that there's rules that god has to follow i don't think there's rules that god has to follow i think god is god but is god allowed to say in the end turns out everybody's home free the prodigal son and the stinky older brother who refused to come into the party that god refuses to let the party be pooped um and if that i mean like if if at least that's a possibility um to me that says that that it squarely lands in the end on God's choice or God's ability to be gracious, not on, did I take the first step? Mm-hmm. I recognize that as logically inconsistent because it's trying to have your cake and eat it too. Um, and I like cake, so I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and in some ways, like I, I'm reading the articles of faith for, for the United Methodist Church, which come from the Evangelical United Brethren and from the Methodist Episcopal Church. And, and it kind of sounds the same way, you know, like, we can't get to heaven without the grace of God. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it does say, you know, but we have that free will to choose it. Yeah. It's a lot of wanting your cake and eating it too, I guess. Um, 
and maybe maybe that's it that like aside from the extremes the extremes of like solid double predestination god picks and chooses who's in and who's out and on the other hand like wide open process theology everybody is somehow in the middle trying to have some amount of cake and eating it too of saying god's Mm -hmm. involved in this and somehow we're responsible for our actions and having a little more comfort leaning one side or the other on that maybe but like somehow in that tension i guess and I, I think because, and we talked about this before we started recording, we're living on a linear timeline mm-hmm. and God is outside of that timeline. And so there's stuff happening that we don't see and understand this side of eternity. Yeah. And, and so mm-hmm. our trying to figure out what's going on is because we're stuck in this linear timeline. Yeah. And, and we don't know what God sees. Yeah. You know, past, present, and future. And, you know, we're just, we're feeble people trying to figure out what in the world god sees and understands and is doing um with the minds that he has given us and the words and and things that he's given us over time and who knows we might all be wrong someday yeah might. well and and like i i think any any uh honest theology has to always have that like yep but i could be wrong about this kind of a thing and in that case what what is my hope or in in that case what what am i going to do if it turns out that i'm wrong um to me there's great comfort in saying my my being saved in the end doesn't depend on the rightness of my theology in the Mm -hmm. end that like that to say that salvation um is ultimately a matter of grace is a way of saying that like while I think it's good to have good theology, I'm not saved because I have good theology. Um, And being able to say that then gives me sort of the, oh, so I can quit worrying constantly about, did I get it right? And more about what things am I clear on? And then what do I do with what I'm clear on? And it seems like, well, at the very least, I'm clear on Jesus says, I should love God and love my neighbor. Maybe I'll work on that <laughs> um, and and worry less about, did I do enough or who started the motion to get me in relationship with God? But um, uh, that that ultimately operate out of the place we've got clarity. And how much ink and paper has been spent, I don't want to say wasted, but spent over centuries trying sure. to figure this out. Sure, when sure. It, like you said, Steve, it boils down to love God, love neighbor. Like if if we can if we could focus on that, maybe the world would be a better place. Mm-hmm. Rather than mm-hmm. fighting over, you know, double predestination, singular predestination, free will, whatever. Right, right, right. I and I, I guess for me, the the reason where this becomes important for me in my life and my faith and my even pastoral care is that I'm comfortable leaning real hard on um, it's grace that saves anybody. And so anybody who's worried about, have I messed up so hard that I'm out of God's embrace? Nope, that is not possible. And that in the end, my hope is not on that I'm going to hold on tight enough to God, but that God's grip won't let go of me. Um, And to me, then I don't have to have the worry of what if I go through such a dark night of the soul that I give up on God. Maybe, in fact, God refuses to let go of me. Like mm-hmm. I can remember being the kid 
in the department store when I was a kid, you know, being squirmy, going to my parents, and it's their holding on to my hand that kept me from getting lost instead of my grip on them. And like knowing what it's like to be both the kid in that circumstance and also to have been the parent in that circumstance, where if I just let my kids make their own decisions, I would still not be able to find them because they would have gone off in some other department and I would I, I would lost them. Um, but in the end, if it's about my grip on them that that keeps them from getting lost, and no matter how squirrely they are, I'm not going to give up on you then like, okay, I, I can have that kind of hope that God won't let go of me. If God loves me at least as much as me holding on my kids in the department store. So you're saying we should have a monkey and cat relationship? No, I'm saying that regardless <laughs> of how squirrely, like, I, and like to, to me, this is exactly why, why in the end I'm a cat hold person is that no matter how squirrely I am and no matter how much I reject or rebel or whatever, my hope is that God won't let go of me. And I hope that yeah. the more I realize God's holding on to me, the more I'll quit fighting. I mean, the more, and like, I, ultimately, that's Mama Cat's hope, too, is that the kittens, like, don't claw at her, but that, like, they will realize, oh, I'm being rescued. I should let myself get rescued. But mm-hmm. that Mama Cat doesn't give up on the kittens because they're being ornery. Mama Cat is determined that they be saved. Um, and I guess I think, like, in a world where Mama Cats do that, that to me says something about like, I can't imagine a God whose love is less than that. I can't imagine a God who's like, you've pushed me to it. I just give up on you. And to me, when it's framed in conversation of will God give up or not, to me, the one thing that seems certain about God is that God doesn't give up on us. Because I think even in the mama cat scenario, um, kittens still actively seek out their mother. Like, especially when she's gone off to go get her own food or water or whatever. And then, you know, they they still seek her out. Sure. And so I think even in that scenario, and how do you say, maybe even in the monkey scenario, sometimes it's both. Because like in zoos, I know I've seen mama monkeys grab their kid and like, start pulling at them away to like you know you're following me now you're not going to go run off and go bother this other monkey you're coming with me now um so i would say that in, in in even in both of these scenarios it's still a relationship that involves two sure right both god and person um I, and, I guess, I, and so I find hope in that too. I, I, and I get that. And I don't want to push the animal metaphors too, too far, but more to say, like for me, the, the hope that sustains me as a follower of Jesus is that there is no point at which God says, you're too much trouble, Steve, I'm giving up on you. Um, mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. there's no point at which God says, you keep wanting to do stupid things. I will just let you do stupid things forever. I'll let your stupidity be more powerful than my love. Like there are times with my kids where I let them face the consequences of their actions, but I will not ever let them get to the point where they do something that will destroy themselves. You know, like, 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 so yeah, if I tell them don't touch that hot stove and they touch it anyway, I'm not going to like handcuff their hands. so They can never touch the stove again. You've learned that lesson. But like, if they are at the point of saying really, really mean stuff and I'm going to walk out the door, like I won't give up on loving them, even if they would, God forbid, get to a point of being so mad they want to you know, stomp out of the house or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and I guess for me, like that, that speaks to um, my confidence that God's love is no less insistent or persistent. 
And then if a God like to me, like the story of, of St. Paul's life is another one of those examples of someone who is dead set, turned away from Jesus. And it's not that God waits for him to invite Jesus into his heart or for him to, hey, Jesus, it turns out you were right after all. He is in the act of being dead set against Jesus, that Jesus grabs a hold of him and says, no, I claim you. And that Paul later in his own theology can say, when we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. Like to me, that like that's Paul saying, even when we are absolutely absolutely turned away from God, God doesn't take our no as, as the final word that God insists on. I will love you even if you're my enemies and my love ultimately will save the day. But that's me. <laughs> so clearly we haven't resolved this as something once and for all for all Christians. Each of us maybe has, has more um, landed where we already were in the first place. But hopefully for listeners, at least we've named some of the important dynamics for how you wrestle with this, how God can be Lord of the universe, and yet also not a puppeteer, and how we have responsibility for our actions, um, and yet somehow God is involved in our lives as well, and living in that mess, and maybe how we how we try and have our cake and eat it too, is how we end up answering these kind of questions about how human freedom and God's will are operative at the same time. So maybe much as promised earlier in this episode, it's time for us to say next time, join us for a conversation about the end of the story and what do Christians believe or what are some things that Christians might believe about Jesus coming again and the end of all things. That's our conversation next time here on Crazy Faith Talk. See y'all. Bye.